you're looking to help the world and buy a home at the exact same time, then you have to contact Climate Change Realty. Visit ccrealty.org to find your real estate agent anywhere in the USA and donate thousands of dollars to your favorite environmental nonprofits absolutely for free. Welcome to the podcast. Stefan, great to meet you, man. Thanks so much for taking some time to join me on the show. I've been particularly looking to this, looking forward to this conversation for a while. It's a topic I'm really interested in. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to talk about uh, some of the work we're doing and the topics uh, surrounding nutrition and healthy diets. Yep. I think you can never go wrong looking into how to be healthier and trying to understand how things work. But before we get too deep, we always love to get the podcast started with some background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the current moment. Great. Yeah. So my name is Dr. Stefan van Vliet. I'm an assistant professor of nutrition in uh, uh, the Center for Human Nutrition Studies at Utah State University. Um, I have my PhD in uh, kinesiology and, and community health. So a lot of focus on exercise and nutrition. Uh, I graduated as an Aspen Fellow from the University of Illinois. And uh, after that, I did postdoctoral training at uh, the Washington University uh, School of Medicine in St. Louis. And then after that, uh, Duke University uh, School of Medicine too, uh, before moving uh, out to uh, Utah State. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of my work is, is focused on sort of on the nexus of, of agriculture, food systems, and human health, um, both on clinical populations as well as sports nutrition. But um, yeah, a lot of the work is focused on do more sustainable agricultural practices uh, impact uh, uh, human health and make foods healthier to consume. And uh, yeah, for that, we do a lot of systems research, uh, working with farmers, ecologists, livestock scientists, people in the field of social sciences and, and economy. Um, so yeah, a whole uh, a whole host of work and especially trying to do uh, bring in different fields together because uh, I think uh, it is probably all related, uh, lifestyle, diet, and our environment. So we try to blend all those things in in our research program. I feel like there's no end to, to everything being related in life. Um, so, but you're originally from the Netherlands, right? That's right. Born and raised in the Netherlands. Uh, and uh, I did, uh, I grew up uh, outside uh, of Rotterdam, which is a major uh, port city. It used to be the largest one in uh, up until the 90s, I think, until some of the, the bigger ports in, uh, in China grew larger than that. But yeah, my family worked in the port since, I want to say like the 1700s or something like that. Um, wow. I, I broke the chain and, uh, and, and, and left, went to college. Um, but yeah, I grew up uh, there sort of uh, under the smoke of Rotterdam. And uh, we did grow up, uh, I did grow up a little bit outside of it, like 20 minutes or so. So adjacent to farm fields. So I was always interested in farming and food from a young age. It was, uh, get a lot of my food directly from farmers and things like that. And uh, so I think that's where the interest started in nutrition. And uh, yeah, luckily I was able to uh, make my job out of it. Yeah. Were you always interested in like how to become healthier and the relationship between like exercise and diet as well? Yeah, that's what it originally, how it originally started. I uh, played soccer throughout my youth and, uh, and I stopped for, for a few years. And then in college, I got into lifting weights and um and that's really how it all started. And then I got interested in how to use nutrition for performance and, and increase love story. Yeah. Muscle, muscle mass, right. That was a main interest, uh, of, of lifting. Um, and I got into it like that. And what was funny is that I was actually in business school at the time. Uh -huh. So I have an undergraduate degree in business, but I was using my uh, university account, not looking at uh, business journals, but looking at nutrition and exercise journals. 
uh. and reading papers. And then as I uh, finished up my bachelor's, I was like, yeah, maybe I should try to do something in exercise and nutrition. So I worked for a bit in, uh, in, in uh, gyms and uh, uh, was able to do my master's at a small teaching school in England uh, to at least get the credentials and then sort of yeah, volunteered in a, in a stable isotope lab in the, in the Netherlands. So we were doing a lot of muscle protein synthesis research there and uh, worked my way up through that and then was able to do a PhD in the, in the US with, uh, with my advisor at the time. He was doing a postdoc in the Netherlands in that lab and I was able to join him in Illinois and that's sort of uh, how I ended up in the US and married an American and uh, never left. We're glad to have you, man. All good love stories start in the gym, I think. I was um, I used to play soccer when I was really young, but I was never very coordinated at all. But I was really fast. So my dad was actually the coach and we would have like races and I would beat the whole team in the race. But then they would score all the goals. And then when I got to high school and I found out that you could lift in the gym and all you have to do is just pick the thing up and put it down. I was like all about it. Super easy. As long as you're I was always very determined, but never very coordinated. So I still get hurt from having bad form. But if I focus, I, I do really well. Well, that, so that explains how you got to the US. Um, one thing I want to address right away is just this idea of of health. So what what would it actually mean to be healthy? Does that mean that you feel good every day, that you appear attractive to other folks, or that you're going to live a long life? Um, what do you what does it mean to be healthy to you personally? Yeah, well, it's probably all all of the above, everything you just mentioned, and they're they're probably also interrelated, right? If you are healthier, uh, well nourished, you probably going to live longer. Um, you will feel better, so you're probably more confident. So you're, you're you know, when your appearance is better, which again, sort of uh, sense of purpose, sense of life, also relates to longevity. So feeling good, looking good. Um, all contribute to that. So health is probably all of those things. It's it's pure, you know, like sort of from a biological standpoint, being healthy, uh, having, uh, your, you know, when we measure biomarkers of health, your blood markers, they indicate health. But yeah, health is obviously also related to how you feel. And, uh, and you know, you see that a lot in uh, long-lived populations is that why do they live long? Um, is it diet? Yes, it's diet, but it's also uh, sort of the, the lifestyle, right? It's uh, feeling a sense of community is actually very important too, and feeling a sense of, of belonging and uh, family life. So those are all very important things. And um, so, yeah, to, to me, that's really what it means uh, to be healthy is, is to do so, is, is strive for optimal health in multiple aspects of life. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Harvard Happiness Study? Um, yeah, as far as in the study goes, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a story just about how they studied a bunch of men over the course of like 70 years. And the ones who lived the longest, it was based on the strength of their relationships. Yeah. It was like the largest contributing factor to their health, which is interesting because it has something to do with exercise or diet. It has to do with the, the way the way you're spending your time, I suppose, is, is really what, what that was. Yeah, the same is found in, in the so-called blue zones, right? Long-lived populations. And it's an interesting story and often forgotten is that uh, Dr. Ansel Keys, who uh, uh, was a physician in the, in the 60s and, and 70s and really coined that uh, term, well, he looked at the Mediterranean populations and found they were amongst the, the healthiest. Um, now we know it as the Mediterranean diet, but in his old work, he described it as the Mediterranean way, 
diet was just a part of it, but it was also close-knit family connections uh, too that played a huge role. And that was already described uh, back then and, uh, you know, low stress uh, and and things like that, plenty of physical activity. And, and you see that in uh, even the Okinawans too. Uh, yeah, their diet is, is a healthy diet, uh, what we would consider low in uh, ultra-processed foods, rich in... in um, uh, plant foods, whole plant foods, uh, supplement with some with some pork and fish and things like that. But their sense of community and well-being is also very important. So the the aspect of of conviviality, right, cannot be uh, uh, ignored either. When we talk about uh, diet, and it was this interesting study that uh, came out uh, as a series of studies uh, posted today. Actually, it was on adolescents, and that also showed is that you know people that spent more time doing physical activity. This is adolescents. Adolescents that spent more time doing physical activity, had less screen time, were also the ones that ate more fruits and vegetables, uh, ate uh, uh, less ultra-processed foods, had, uh, uh, drank less sugar-sweetened sugar beverages. They also ate more family meals than uh, the ones that were healthier. So it is you know, a, a sort of a whole lifestyle effect uh, that you're seeing. And and that's what makes it also difficult for nutrition researchers is to, yeah, you can't really disentangle that from nutrition, really, from diet per se, even though we sometimes try. Uh, it's, it's a reductionist approach and it has a place in, in science, but the reductionist approach also has issues because uh, we, we tend to categorize things or focus on one thing, whereas probably they're, they're all interrelated. That's what makes it really difficult to determine what is contributing to a specific effect or benefit. Um, but we still try anyways, you know, we can get some, some good evidence, but yeah, I'm not a, personally, I'm not a very conclusive thinker. I don't like to come to 100% conclusions. You, you know, I, I don't think any, I don't consider myself a scientist, but I don't think any real scientist would ever say that's it. Like wipe your hands. We're done. We figured it out. You know, that's very unscientific. No, in fact, as I've grown in my career, I've become um, less certain about a lot of things. So, of course, yeah, because yeah, then you realize uh, um, how much little you don't know. So, uh, there's, uh, yeah, that that that's an old saying, but uh, I definitely found that to be true. Is that uh, yeah. we're we're scratching the surface on a lot of things, and then the the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. Yeah, you get lost. You can get lost in a sea of information. I try to try to keep it surface level so anyone can understand but also try to get a little bit below the surface to try at least try to understand these complex topics um so before we start talking about nutrition i just wanted to cover um how much of an impact exercise has on someone's health versus diet as i understand it what you eat contributes much more to the health of like your organs and your body like function than exercise of course i'm a huge exercise advocate but the if it was a percentage, it would. The, what you eat is literally creating who you are. So I want to do. Let's just cover this quickly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we eat three times a day, and most people nowadays eat more with snacks too. So we, it's the main way in which we interact with our environment. And there was an interesting study that uh, came out in uh, Nature. I think it was a, a year ago. It was a group out of Israel who uh, who did that, and they modeled what was the biggest impact of what circulates in our blood. And uh, they found that uh, diet accounted for nearly 50% of that. So the, the saying, you are what you eat, there's uh, half truth to that statement, at least. Uh, other lifestyle factors like the microbiome or physical activity indeed had a lower impact. But that is not to say 
that exercise is, is not important or physical activity. And I, I see it like this. It's that, and we see this also in uh, looking at muscle specifically, um, is that exercise creates the stimulus or the window of opportunity. And that window of opportunity is fulfilled by nutrition. So that's uh, really how I would uh, view exercise uh, in, that, uh, in that regard. Yeah. So one of the things that personally concerns me, as folks know who listen to the show, I've, this is actually, I'm coming up on my sixth year of eating vegan, but obviously I'm open to lots of different ideas. I usually say plant-based because vegan is kind of like a religion that I don't really adhere to too much. But um, one one of the factors re- regarding to, or relating to nutrition and exercise is that I exercise seven seven days a week, essentially, and I'm in really good shape. So you think, oh, this guy's really healthy. The thing with diet is I have no idea what my organs look like, how they're functioning. So that doesn't what someone looks like on the outside doesn't necessarily show how healthy they are at a really like comprehensive extent. You know what I mean? Yeah, not necessarily. No, but I think uh, if you for for most of us, if we look, you know, healthy on uh, through exercise it would definitely have an impact on on some of the you know organ system or the, the, the cells that uh, that you described because it does improve uh, improve our health it uh, improves uh, nutrient utilization it can lower in inflammation it helps with uh, you know uh, uh, sort, of, sort of cleaning up debris or waste products out of our cells so typically you would see that but yeah you could think of an, an extreme scenario of an athlete that is uh, uh, using high amounts of drugs or, or overtrained, yeah, they might look great on the outside, but might not be healthy on the inside. So that's definitely uh, a, uh, uh, an important consideration. Uh, uh, there's always exceptions to the rule, of course, but in, in general, I would say that the physical activity, um, maybe it's, you know, in terms of like, as, as a weight loss strategy or things like that, maybe, you know, uh, or, or, or metabolism and there's been studies done on that too that not per se someone who exercises a lot more has a much better metabolism but it does have a lot of other health benefits uh, regarding uh, um, keeping ourselves healthy keeping inflammation down and things like that of course i think it almost the argument could be made it has a larger impact on your mental health than anything else your ability to continue to push through rigorous exercise can allow you to get these benchmarks that you of discipline to allow you to achieve in your career in your personal life or elsewhere uh, my my personal perspective yeah uh, yeah no absolutely Uh, and that's that's true and usually healthy lifestyle factors come in a package and they're interrelated right if you're uh consistent about your exercise and then motivated and you know uh that usually translate to other aspects of your life too i mean i typically always go to the gym in in the morning four days a week before work and yeah it requires discipline to be in the gym at six but yeah i feel great afterwards i feel energized and uh, obviously that that discipline and that ethic translates to other areas in life as well yeah do you know who jay cutler is uh, yeah, is that, uh, the bodybuilder is that their deal? He's a bodybuilder. Yeah. yeah, he's not necessarily someone I would go to for uh, for health advice, but I know ever since he got me on, I liked his advice. He does the the three two split, so I go five days a week. So I go three days. It's like two really hard days, one like pretty hard day, and then like two really hard days in between, just to try to maximize the time in the gym. Anyways, en- enough on the gym. I do want to kind of get into how nutrition works, and then we can talk about the. I guess the consequences of that for society and how people are choosing their diets to begin that conversation. 
I just want to like ask you what is like a nutrient because they say we want to have a nutrient dense diet. We have they say whole food whole food diet. So what is like nutrients? What are nutrients? Yeah, nutrients is is a substance that uh, that, that essentially provides nourishment and it's important for growth and the maintenance of life in its most basic sense. So um that is, if I had to describe a nutrients, that is what I would say. They're important for growth and, and maintenance of our life. Um, now, the term nutrient can be classified into essential and non-essential nutrients. Okay. And sometimes even conditionally essential nutrients, meaning that some nutrients are more important during some stages of life than others. Uh, we're talking mainly here about growth stages, so at, mm. at a young age. Uh or adolescence where, where some nutrients may become uh, uh, conditionally essential and uh, uh, one thing you could think about. And, and there's certainly uh, always ongoing debates about this, whether some nutrients are essential or not. One thing, for instance, what people are making a case for quite often is, should we make uh, DHA and EPA, which are uh, very long chain uh essential fatty acids, omega-3 fatty acids, but technically we can make small amounts from uh, linoleic acid. Yeah, ALA, right? That's the, the plant precursor. And uh, it has to be converted in your body, though. Yeah, exactly. And some people may do so more efficiently than others. So there's always this, this ongoing debate like, hey, should we make that a uh, an essential nutrient, D- DHA itself, right? Uh, so the, the omega-3 fatty acids, which is important for brain health. Uh, our brain actually DHA is, is a very rich fatty acid in our brain, and it's it's, it's very important for neurological function, and uh, it has a whole host of uh, of, of health effects. Um, and then creatine, for instance, is another nutrient that uh, people often make a case for. Uh, creatine provides us with very powerful short-term energy. Uh, it's a very popular sports supplement, but uh, creatine that, that energy that we use for Muscle performance is also creative. We also use that for rapid brain performance. So there's always discussions about that. And another amino acid is, uh, is taurine, which virtually impacts any cell of our body. Uh, is important for brain health, eye health, muscle health. Uh, there's also ongoing discussions about that. So like, should we make taurine uh, an uh, essential amino acid? And it's considered consensually essential in, in certain ages or stages of life, but uh, uh, yeah, that's 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 what uh, nutrients is. Nutrients that that nourish ourselves and are important for our health. But I do want to highlight just because we have these probably thousands, tens thousands, probably maybe even hundreds of thousands of nutrients, especially when we look at plant secondary metabolites, antioxidants, things like polyphenols, for instance. It goes into the hundreds of thousands, probably. Those are non-essential nutrients. But that does not mean they're not important for our health and well-being. So that is also important to, to note uh, when we when we talk about nutrients uh, in general, is that we have a essential nutrients that are essential for life, but the non-essential one doesn't mean that they're not important. So we, can, is it easy? Is it safe to say we think about nutrients as something we can consume, like you plug into a body and the body converts it into cells in some way or into something else? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, but uh, a lot of nutrients, they, uh, indeed, when we take the example of amino acids in the basic sense, that's why people eat protein. Protein contains amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of our cells. So our body is constantly breaking down old cells, uh, the amino acids, and it needs to be replaced with, with new amino acids. 
Uh, of the amino acids, nine are essential, meaning we need to get them through our diet. Um, and through these building blocks of protein, we, we build new cells and, and keep our bodies healthy. But there's also things like uh, uh, vitamins and minerals, for instance, that play uh, uh, an important role as cofactors in, in enzymatic uh, processes in our body. So building of those new cells might require a lot of cofactors uh, as well to, right. for that process to occur properly. So, um, and of course, certain uh, nutrients also, like things like carbohydrates and fatty acids, also provide our body with, with energy. But then fatty acids can provide energy, but then also um, things such as uh, omega-3 fatty acids are also, they don't just provide energy, they're also important constituents of our cell membrane. We need to keep that our cell membrane healthy. We could potentially benefit our cognitive function as we, we grow older or when we're in the developmental stages as, as children, right? Uh, so it is certainly, uh, yeah, multifaceted, the impact of, uh, of nutrients and what they are used for. But uh, uh, yeah, typically it is, uh, they, they play either roles as they are either intermediates or end products of, of, of metabolism to keep our, keep our bodies uh, healthy and, uh, and functioning well. Intermediate being like something that is getting something to where it needs to go, like like providing like lubrication for a process or something like that. Yeah, that might be a way of uh, of describing it. Indeed, is that uh, you need to, uh, you know, for the substance A, uh, the amino acid, the amino acid will become a protein in our cell, right? But for that to happen, it needs certain cofactors, maybe certain vitamins, uh, for that right. to happen, for that enzymatic process to take place. So indeed, uh, there are uh, sort of helpers in that uh, with, with some nutrients act as helpers uh, to that uh, process. Right. So in order for Thanos to kill half of the universe, he needs all six of the Infinity Stones. He could do a lot of damage with five, but without the sixth part, he's not going to get the full power. He's not going to have the full good. power. That's right. Right. <laughs> that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And uh, that's why you can sometimes get away with... Uh, you know, having low nutritional status. And you see this in low to middle income countries. You know, uh -huh. there's a there's a nutrient uh, deficiency, oftentimes a protein or amino acid deficiency. Uh, children grow still, right? But they uh, don't grow as, as tall and as robust as they would normally grow. And maybe their cognitive performance, how they do in school, is also not as good as they would normally uh, uh, could do if they were more nourished. So uh, indeed, to harness the full power, you uh, need the, the uh, full spectrum of nutrients. And so I like your analogy. Right. Yeah. So let's let's go a little bit deeper in this and try and keep it simple for people. Um, I also find it interesting that we use that you use the term make something like DHA uh, an essential nutrient. It's interesting we say like we need to make it that. It's like it either it don't you think it's like it either it is or it isn't. And I guess you got it's in the middle of a debate to determine what is, right? Yeah, that is right. And uh, you know, thinking back of that, that's at one point we didn't consider vitamin C an essential nutrient, but now we do, right? And then everyone uh, got scurvy. Yeah, exactly. On the way to the US. <laughs> on the way to the US, that's right. So uh, and uh, the, the natives already figured out uh, the indigenous peoples in the US how to uh, combat that by eating certain uh, foods and uh, but yeah that that is an example of that uh, indeed how we were able to figure that out through uh, 
partly trial and error. And then after a while, when we were able to synthesize these molecules in the lab and test this uh, test requirements through uh, uh, a whole host of methods that we were able to figure out uh, uh, how much of that we needed and what the requirements are. So when I was doing my like preliminary research as someone like an enthusiast about how to how to eat a healthy diet, I came across a simple framework of looking at things as the in order to uh, you know which not achieve its full potential or to you know whatever to be healthy the body needs essentially macronutrients and these micronutrients so it it was carbohydrates protein fat vitamins and minerals which again are all just categories of types of nutrients that we were discussing um could you could you explain what macronutrients are the carbs proteins and fats how we use them and then micronutrients how we use those as well just briefly i guess yeah no for sure so the main the, the three main ones you mentioned indeed carbohydrates proteins and fats uh proteins uh, and fats they are at least subtypes of that are considered essential carbohydrates are biologically non-essential meaning that uh, we can we can live without carbohydrates doesn't mean that uh, we don't have any benefits from eating them, um, but it's it's a non-essential uh, macronutrient. Uh, proteins, uh, you have a whole host of amino acids, but nine of them are essential, meaning that we need to get those in our diet to uh, uh, replenish our cells and keep them healthy. The same with fats. Fats, they provide an energy source, but as I mentioned, uh, they also play important roles in, in keeping our cell membranes and keeping our brains healthy and keeping our muscle healthy or organs healthy um, so typically there we have an uh, uh, es essential ones which uh, would be uh, uh, indeed as we as we talked about uh, some of the omega-3 fatty acids uh, uh, ALA in this case which uh, would be considered an essential one um, and then as far as carbohydrate goes yeah we also of course it's important that we uh, you know while they're not essential for survival per se, it uh, doesn't mean that there may be no benefits of, of consuming them. Uh, we typically uh, consider fiber, for instance, a uh, non-essential, but uh, uh, which definitely could have, uh, have health benefits uh, in terms of uh, uh, helping with uh, controlling our, our, our things like triglycerides or cholesterol levels, uh, uh, binding to certain uh, uh, like uh, what we would call xenobiotics or, or, or nutrients that uh, that we want to want to well, not nutrients things foreign to the body that we want to excrete but then obviously it comes with a, a double-edged sword sometimes too where some you know fibers rich foods can also bind to essential nutrients like zinc and iron and things like that uh, especially when they're rich in things like like phytic acid and anti nutrients but uh yeah, our tr three main main macronutrients are, are fat, carbohydrate, and protein. And the idea of that is that uh, a combination of those, especially the, the essential fatty acids, higher intake of uh, amino acids, especially when we consume protein in cooked forms, and then the access, rapid access of, of glucose for the brain, as well as uh, things like, like DHA and EPA, the essential fatty acids, and also the vitamins and minerals is that what that's what caused uh, uh, sort of human development throughout an evolutionary uh, stage. So having a direct, you know, very sorrowful source of glucose for the brain, having uh, vitamin C available, having essential fatty acids available, having essential amino acids available that uh, 
is really what uh, what shaped us as uh, as a human. In addition to other things, of course, uh, as well, when uh, uh, social aspects cannot be uh, uh, and learning aspects cannot be uh, uh, discounted either. But uh, uh, from from that perspective. Um, it is important to to consume these nutrients, but there's you know it, it's also certainly interesting to see that we see populations across the globe that and, and people that are healthy on a high fat low carbohydrate diet, others other people are healthy on a uh, high carbohydrate low fat diet. So there's certainly not one uh, size fits all when it uh, when it comes to diets or macronutrient distributions that uh, are, are perfect for a given individual. Right, I, that, I find that so interesting, and it's even more interesting how all this stuff just kind of like came together with what exists on the planet. Like you see like a, like a baby kitten, like, and you give it a little ball, it'll like pounce on the ball cause it's ready to hunt. Cause it knows it wants to go kill the bird and eat it. Cause it knows the bird has the fat and the necessary compounds. And it's just like what we're meant to do. It's so interesting. And it's all these different. So we talked about five main topics, which are the five basic main topics within those. You, you went in a little bit to some of the essential nutrients like DHA, EPA, essential, and there's nine amino acids. I mean, there's probably, there's like hundreds of amino acids, aren't yeah. there? But there's nine essential ones that we must, that we've proven to musket yeah. right minerals as irons like a mineral right yeah, vitamin yeah, d is it vitamin that's that yeah. stuff all plays a part in the different um things that are going on within our body not to mention that there's probably millions or billions of uh microorganisms inside our body that are feeding off all this stuff to keep us alive as well crazy stuff yeah no absolutely and uh indeed our mi- microbes within our gut uh, that uh, uh indeed also play a play a role in uh, in in our health and uh and our mitochondria as well which is sort of the the, the oldest uh life form uh, uh that that is, is is within you know uh, the environment and within us that uh, that that are very well evolutionary conserved uh, across uh, different species even so uh, uh yeah it is certainly uh, to not make a overly uh, uh make it overly complex but uh, yeah there are certain not to yeah, it is certainly a very complex uh, uh, thing, uh, how our body works, metabolism, and as a result, also nutrients are, are, are complex because we often focus on, uh, you know, when we pick up a package of food, right, we see the protein, we see fat, we see carbohydrates, and then maybe a handful of vitamins and minerals. There's 13 nutrients that routinely appear on this nutrition facts panel when we pick up food. Mm-hmm. Now, the USDA database tracks another 150 or so components. And our ideas of what is a healthy diet uh, or human nutrition are largely focused on those nutrients. But foods in their natural state or the whole food matrix, what this is typically referred to, contains thousands to tens of thousands of nutrients that could potentially impact our health. And many of these are non-essential, but that doesn't mean they're not important for our health either. So I would say that even in nutrition science, we are scratching the surface and we're, we're doing a lot of uh, what's called food metabolomics work and, and metabolomics refers to the study of metabolites. So metabolites are end products or intermediates of metabolism, whether it being the metabolism of soil, plants, animals, or humans. Now, not every uh, metabolite is per se a nutrient, but every nutrient is a metabolite. So these products that are produced by plants or the metabolites that appear in animal products, the tissue, meat, and and, uh, uh, milk and eggs, these we use to nourish nourish our body. And there's so many of these, and they do impact our our tissues and our health responses uh, too. So as you 
can imagine. Um, our metabolism is complex, but the metabolism of plants and animals is, is complex too. And we obtain a lot of these nutrients from these complex uh, uh, metabolites that are found in plant and animal source foods. Yeah. Um, let, let, let's talk about that a, a little bit more. How does it vary in different types of food? Because there's a lot of schools of thought. Um, also, how old is, first off, how, how old is nutrition science? Do you know? Well, yeah, that depends on what you, you inform you look at. I mean, you can find it in, in ancient Chinese writing uh, 10,000 years ago already where people uh, talked more about, uh, uh, they were definitely talking about nutrition in that aspect. Uh, then also, of course, with the uh, uh, Hippocrates, right? Uh, let's mm -hmm. let thy food be thy medicine. So he was able to uh, uh, picture that. But yeah, I would say, modern nutritional sciences late 1800s i uh, i would say that uh, uh, 1870s 1880s is when uh, yeah we were able to uh, really start looking at some of those things and then obviously in the early 1900s the 30s 40s 50s where we started to understand a lot more about essential nutrients and, and uh, were able to synthesize uh, vitamins in a lab and things like that where uh, we were able to determine uh, uh, how much our requirements are for for things like vitamin c for instance gotcha cool yeah so let's talk about the complexity or the breakdown of, of different foods because some of your work that's very interesting is you studied the difference between plant-based meats and regular meats and we were talking about the podcast before this about the difference between tofu and peas and meat so how are these different foods broke broken down how how do we understand the different complexities and the breakdowns of all the different foods that we let's focus on on protein because i think people are really interested in that you can talk about the difference between a plant-based burger or a regular burger versus like a tofu meal of some kind yeah no we have a lot a large focus now on this term protein right and uh, it's an, uh, indeed an essential nutrient uh the nine essential amino acids but it is important to highlight that despite sort of the messaging we often get in uh, uh, marketing or social media, where we think of like, you know, we can consume protein from source A and protein from source B, and uh, we get similar nutrients, right? That we think it's just interchangeable. Like we can um, basically eat a uh, piece of beef or we can eat a, you know, a Beyond Burger or an Impossible Burger or things like that. And, and because they contain a similar amount of protein, we we can just, they're interchangeable, but they're not nutritionally interchangeable. When you sort of look at the whole food matrix, we did a comparison of, um, again, using food metabolomics and with food metabolomics, we really go deeper than those nutrients that appear on nutrition facts panels. We look at uh, more holistically at a large number of nutrients all at once. So we did a comparison of that, of, a, of, of beef and then a popular plant-based meat alternative. If I uh, were to pick up a package of each, which obviously we did, multiple packages of each, and look at the, the nutrition facts panels, similar amount of protein, similar amount of fat, similar amounts of, uh, largely similar amounts of vitamins and minerals. Uh, largely also because, you know, some of these are naturally occurring in a plant-based meal terms, but also because they were supplementing that with. So for a consumer, you could think, oh, I'm getting a similar nutritional profile so by consuming these products. But what we found was, is that there was a 90% difference in, in metabolite abundance. Um, and in, so this means that not per se that there 90% uh, of the nutrients weren't found in either one. About a quarter of the nutrients uh, was was found. So there were 
various nutrients, a quarter of the nutrients were only found either in beef or the plant-based meal alternatives. And then the, the rest of that 65% that was different were nutrients that were appearing in, in various amounts. So the idea is that we can just interchange uh, tofu with beef with an impossible burger with peanut butter or something like that, just because they contain that one nutrient protein is in my opinion, incorrect because we get a whole spectrum of nutrients that come in protein rich sources, meaning that for that reason, they are perhaps not uh, nutritionally interchangeable. And obviously we have to look at this from a bigger diet perspective too. If I was to not get uh, 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 zinc or something from a, from a various source, but I would get it from another source in the diet, right? Then obviously switching out uh, beef with a plant-based meal alternative would be of no concern for nutritional, uh, uh, would be of no nutritional concern because I get the nutrients from elsewhere. But what concerns me sometimes is, is this, this simplified idea in nutrition and it's called nutritional reductionism where we focus on a handful of nutrients and that we think because source A contains protein, source B contains protein, that they're nutritionally interchangeable. And uh, yeah, they're not, that's not per se the case. And one of the things that was interesting from that study is that you didn't determine which, um, which whatever food, that protein, whatever, the meat thing, whether it was real meat or fake meat, you did not determine which one was more healthy. You just said that it was conclusively that they were different, right? Yeah, yeah, we cannot determine also from this data whether one is healthy or not. And it, it, I also couldn't say because we saw uh, certain healthy components in the plant-based meal alternative that we didn't find in the meat and vice versa. So right. to give you an example is that there were a bunch of like uh, antioxidants, polyphenols, soy isoflavones in the plant-based meal alternative, which was soy-based, that were not found in the beef. But then things like creatine, taurine, anserine, uh, cysteamine, which are uh, have important antioxidant effects in, in our body or are important for, uh, you know, creatine, as we talked about, for, for muscle performance or, or, or brain uh, uh, cognitive function. The same with taurine, eye health, uh, uh, muscle health. Those were not found in the plant-based meal alternative. So there were differences there. And that's why I at least in my uh, humble, uh, educated opinion or educated guess, I would say, uh, is that, you know, certain nutrients are hard or not possible to get from plants. Certain ones are hard or not possible to get from animal source foods. So having the combination of the two in varying amounts could provide us with uh, uh, the nutrients. And you also see sort of a complementariness there. One example that I really like is that Zinc and iron from plant foods, specifically legumes, right? They're in, in there. They uh, are maybe not as bioavailable as those in animal source foods. But let's say if we consume some beans and beef, we actually help with the uptake of the iron and the zinc from uh, the beans when we consume them both together. So it really highlights the complementary nature of, uh, of foods. And at the same time, maybe some of the, you know, when we... Uh, char our meat or grill our meat, some potentially harmful compounds are formed. But if we consume that with uh, some broccoli or we marinate the meat and eat it with spices, some of these harmful compounds may be 70, 80% reduced. Again, coming back to the sort of the, the complementary nature of food where we can get the good from one food, but offset the bad of it with, with another food, right? And uh, one classic example that I really like is that uh, 
indigenous peoples in uh, in, in middle America, the, the potato used to be highly toxic. You could not consume it, but it contains uh, vitamin C. It contains uh, a lot of uh, bioavailable glucose, right? They would consume a potato with clay. The clay would bind to the toxins of the potato, but they would still get the vitamin C and the uh, the glucose from the potato as a result of that. So it's like offsetting, you know, uh, the getting the, the benefits while offsetting potentially the negative uh, compounds. So uh, um, that's why we, we I sort of jokingly say about that uh, paper is that uh, if you go and order a double uh, patty at a, at a shop, Maybe uh, you can order a an impossible patty and a and a beef patty, and then you get a complementary nutrient profile. But obviously, I'm joking because uh, you could also just uh, eat some eat some peas with it or some other vegetable. You <laughs> get the same thing, right? Uh, so, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that that is really what we study. But yeah, so and then there have certainly been studies done also in uh, swap meat trials. One, for instance, by uh, uh, Dr. Gardner out of, out of Stanford that did a, a multi-read randomized control trials that showed that, you know, replacing some uh, beef with plant-based meat alternatives had actually slightly beneficial effects on weight uh, uh, loss and, and uh, or cholesterol. Uh, so, you know, initial work certainly suggests that they are compatible with, uh, with good health, but uh, I, I do think it's important to realize as, as consumers that... Uh, you know, we're not getting exactly the same nutrient profile. So if you went, uh, and, and I think that is uh, uh, important to realize and uh, and why we, even if we're on a vegan diet, to, to go for a variety of foods and then be aware of them. Right. Well, I'm thinking about this idea of, of lubrication and I'm saying I have a, a really fancy bicycle and I've given it all these, like I have awesome pedals and it has, I don't know what else, a really good frame, but the chain is really, really, really rusty. So you have this bicycle that works, you know, you get and you push really hard and the chain goes, but it just doesn't really move right. And it's because you put all these awesome parts to it, but if you just added that little bit of iron, that little drops of, of lube or oil on the chain, it'll work like way, way, way better. That's just kind of how I'm trying to think about it. Is that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. And that's why it's, uh, you know, I'm interested in optimizing diet, right? And uh, right. not survival. And you, you see that in, uh, in, in, people that uh and again this is sort of my my opinion in 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 that and you know it, it, it can be debated whether you know whether diet a uh what's interesting is that you have people on a carnivore diet that, that let's talk about that i want to talk about that you seem to be healthy uh, uh we don't have as much robust long-term data on that yet but okay you know seem to be compatible with good health and we have sort of vegan diets plant exclusive diets on the other hand where people are healthy right I'd say most people uh, operate on a spectrum of omnivory. Um, but what's interesting is that that person that's maybe on a vegan diet might not do well on a carnivore diet or, or vice versa even, right? Uh, or even anything in between. Like some people, uh, and, and research would suggest that, appear to do great on a uh, low-carb diet. And other people might see their, their LDL cholesterol shoot through the roof, which I, I think the idea there's not a one-size-fits-all uh, uh, in terms of diet, right? And that's why these endless discussions on social media, they maybe are entertaining, but that's why you also never get to any uh, agreement, right? Because the diet that worked for one person may indeed work for them very well. And then person A was on a completely different diet and that works very well for them too. They may even be both right, right? But that doesn't mean that person A takes the diet of person B 
and that they would then do equally well, right? And we see that in nutrition studies too all the time is that you put people on similar diets and the, the health responses are different uh, in that regard. And um, so, and you can also, and studies have shown that is even, you know, you can be healthy on a vegan diet, you can be healthy on a Mediterranean diet, you can be healthy on a Nordic diet, a, a traditional American diet, an Okinawan diet, a low-carb diet, a high-carb diet, etc. But it doesn't, uh, but there's different people that may do well on, on different diets, right? Uh, due to difference in genetic factors, uh, environmental factors, and things like that. Even social is, is important, right? Uh, to, uh, to dietary success. So, it is certainly fascinating and uh, yeah, but but there's no one size diet fits all. And that's why these discussions are all, all often uh, difficult. And it also speaks to the human body, how resilient it is that people can be on carnivore diets and people can be on vegan diets and, you know, still live apparently uh, uh, healthy lives. Although I must say on the, on the carnivore diet, we have a little bit uh, less data uh, on, on that too. But uh yeah, oh, we have a lot less data. On yeah, that. a lot less That's data. pretty new. Yeah, yeah. but okay. On, on one hand, you know, I would personally not consume a carnivore diet because I think you're missing out on a whole host of, uh, of nutrients uh, that could be beneficial for health. But personally, I think the same about a vegan diet is that, you know, obviously kudos if you're on a vegan diet and, and, and feel healthy on it, but um, you might maybe missing out on some nutrients that 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 are uh, uh important um or some nutrients may be hard to get but yeah you are definitely might be missing out on on, on things like taurine and, and, and carnosine and enserine and things like that that uh, would uh, either appear very low amounts in animals or in plant source foods or or absent um but then you also have to be realistic. Some, you know, the average vegan is much healthier than the average omnivore. And then it seems like, you know, vegan populations can certainly live long, but the people that do well on a vegan diet probably stick with it. The people that don't do well on it probably don't stick with it. Right. And the same right. with the carnivore diet too, is that, uh, um, the people that do well on that, uh, yeah, might be the ones that also stick with it. And, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you're missing out on, on so many, well, I should reframe that to an extent, but yeah, you're missing out on a, on a large number of, you know, antioxidant compounds that, that may be beneficial when you're not consuming any plant source foods. Well, what's interesting is that no matter what conversation you have, it always seems to come back to this idea of know thyself and understand who you are and, and the, what really who you are, how, how you're made up. And that's what was so interesting with Dr. Provenza is talking about this idea of nutritional wisdom and letting your body tell you kind of what you eat and what you need. Um, yeah, when I, I was a little, I was confused about the idea of diet at the beginning of this conversation. But now when you think of it, if you compare it to um, putting a bunch of kids in a, in a classroom being like, all right, everyone's going to be a doctor. Okay, we're all going to study medical stuff and you're all going to go on and be doctors. That doesn't work. So why would we think that that would work with like, all right, everybody eat apples and celery like Steve Jobs and you're all going to start Apple. You know what I mean? You got to find something that works for you with the information that you're given. And I think a lot of it can come from from within. You know what I mean? Yeah, to an extent, that's true. And, and yeah, I always think that, uh, you know, almost I think every species of animal, any animal species can sort of figure out what to eat. Right, without uh, uh, sort of intuitively or learn from uh, from their uh, their their parents or their mother in in terms of like animals, right? And let's say if we take the example of livestock, as, as Dr. Provence often highlighted, animals kind of intuitively know what they should consume, when they should consume it, how to nourish themselves. 
other animals have that too. A you know, a very simple thing, but a, a lion knows that it needs to consume uh, meat and not uh, uh, you know uh, dig up uh, roots from uh, from from the ground uh, to eat right. those, right? So they intuitively kind of know what to eat, and it's, it's hard to imagine that we as humans are are the only species then that uh, are, are supposedly hyper intelligent, but we have no idea what to eat. So that that cannot be. Uh, <laughs> that seems very unlikely, at least to me. So. So that we have some nutritional wisdom, and and there's this famous study, and maybe Dr. Provenza mentioned it too, of Claire Davis, who uh, in the 30s, uh, in, in had children self-select their diets, and and what was interesting is that they were able to self-select, they were able to rectify nutri- nutritional deficiencies uh, with the foods that they chose, and and you see that also, and it's, it's interesting to read about this, like. Uh, uh, sort of older writing in in uh, people that uh, undertook like ex- the exploration studies towards the U.S. Right, is that you know they would reach certain islands and they would have this huge craving for like citrus fruits, right? Well, why would they have this huge craving for it? Because they were probably uh, uh, low. <laughs> you know, they were developing early signs of scurvy, and they, their body kind of knew, like, hey, you know, this this is yeah. what. So it's super hard to prove in nutritional science, and then this day and age, it'd be even progressively harder to uh, to do that. To say like, hey, we're gonna you know starve you of this, and then we're gonna put some foods in front of you, and then you have to select which one you need. It might be an interesting study, but uh, um, to replicate that. But but yeah, we do have a certain nutritional system. But the hard part of this is, Ethan, I think, and that's the case, is that in our modern environment. It is super hard to, to 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 deal with that where we have these foods available. Let's say if we take like a strawberry drink versus a strawberry, like you know, if we drink the strawberry flavored, uh, you know, gusher or something like that, we'd still get that that flavor, and that flavor tells us, okay, you know, this is this is uh, good for us, this is tasty, but it doesn't provide us the nutrients as we would get when eating a strawberry, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Where flavor would tell us, okay. This is a tasty flavor, and it will come with nutrients. But in the terms of the the ultra processed food, it might not come with nutrients. So that's could be part of the idea, at least. And you see this in, in animal studies uh, more clearly, but also the randomized controlled trial that uh, Kevin Hall did in the NIH. That if you let people self-select their diet, they overeat. Or if you give them ultra processed diet versus a minimally processed diet, they overeat on the ultra processed foods. They consume four to five hundred calories more. It could be the they're not getting what they need. Yeah, yeah, it could be overeating. Uh, in animal studies, it's been well established. If you put uh, livestock and you you limit their ability to self-select their diet, they would just overeat to get all their nutrients. So they would consume more. And uh, you know, it's it it could be a case too in uh, in humans where uh, uh, we consume more to get the nutrients and, and it, it may be even the case with uh, with protein intake is that we you know we see that protein rich foods and but we might also overeat to uh, to get the proteins that uh, to meet our protein needs so it's it's certainly interesting that uh, uh, yeah i think it's likely that something like that it's multifactorial but it's likely that something like that is going on in human physiology too is that where we overeat uh, because we are getting the calories but not the nutrients yeah well what's interesting is i think we we heavily discount the the reptilian brain and like the evolutional evolutionary knowledge that we do have. Like, for example, like baby birds or ducks, like if you fly like a shadow of like a condor over them, they know to like hide right away. But at the same time, our prefrontal cortex or whatever, the front brain, the human brain can use that knowledge to to trick 
instincts. For example, when you talk about that sugary strawberry drink, it can make you think it's a strawberry and then you, you take it, but your body is still going to feel the effects. So it's, it's a complex world we're operating in, man. I'm glad we got people like you studying the details to try and help us figure it out. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a difficult and a funny uh, story is, is that we uh, worked on a study where, you know, we were interested in uh, what if we give people an ultra processed diet or a minimally processed diet, but this time equated for calories. Uh, well, mm-hmm. the most challenging part about that study was, was, was getting people, the people that would consume, and it's, it's, it was a randomized crossover design. So some people would start on the uh, ultra processed diet, right? And they were complaining like, oh, it's just not enough food. And then, uh, you know, what we would say, well, you know, we, we have to give you this amount of food because we have to match it next time. And then when we try to match it next time, they eat the same amount of calories and say, oh, there's so much food. I cannot consume this. Right. So the hard part was even getting people not to, to overeat and trying to match the calories. And we tried, but we, we still on the ultra processed diet, people were consuming 100 calories over, which was mainly the result of when they started on the ultra processed diet uh, because they were had a hard time either matching the the, the calories on the whole food diet because they were so incredibly full. So, uh, and this was matched for, for protein and, and, uh, and, and fat and things like that and uh, uh, sugar. And uh, so it also tells you is that uh, a macronutrient is not a macronutrient is not a macronutrient, right? Like the, the food quality in which you get this in matters a lot. And uh, that's why coming back to that aspect that we talk about protein protein isn't protein isn't protein and uh, especially the food matrix in which this comes at impacts our satiety it impacts digestibility uh, the other non-protein nutrients that come with it can have an impact uh, on on things as well so um yeah it's certainly a complex topic and then with with foods where we're, i must say we are scratching the surface in our understanding of all the the thousands of nutritional compounds in, in foods. And uh, that, that's why I am sometimes a little nervous when it comes to, uh, yeah, the reductionism where we simply think that, uh, you know, we can have fats from source A or source B or protein from source A or source B. And just because they contain protein, just because they contain fat, they're nutritionally interchangeable. And, and to give you a further example is that, you know, we often think saturated fat is not good for you, right? That's, that's the messaging. But there are uh, a, a number of saturated, different types of saturated fatty acids. There is, you know, more short-chain fatty acids uh, and as well as longer-chain saturated fatty acids. Well, what now newer work is, is starting to find out, and this is population-based studies, but that the, the very long-chain saturated fatty acids... Uh, are actually associated with a decreased risk of cardiovascular disease, whereas maybe the the, the shorter chain ones are associated, uh, short to medium chain ones are associated with a increased risk. But we oftentimes in the messaging here, well, saturated fat is bad. But then my question usually is, well, what types of saturated fatty acids are we talking about, right? So, and and again, our understanding of that is improving. But uh, yeah, it is certainly. Uh, uh, one, one thing that, uh, that I often uh, try to guard against is, is simplified messaging. But uh, that also means that it's, uh, I, I get that we have to have some simplified messages, but sometimes we also give the wrong message as a result. I have no doubt about that. Yeah, the messaging stuff is tough. Believe me, as someone in, in business, it's hard to, to get the word out and you want to reach as many people as possible. Everybody does. So 
that's a tricky thing. You say a fat isn't a fat isn't a fat. A, a carrot isn't a carrot isn't a carrot now because of the the health of our soils has changed so much over the last whatever decades. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. How how eating a healthy diet can relate to improving the health of, of our environment. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's a great uh, great question, uh, Ethan. We we have multiple studies going on in where we ask the simple question: Do more sustainable agricultural practices? They improve soil health. Do they also improve the healthfulness of foods for human consumption? It's reasonable, at least, to uh, and, and pilot work suggests that is that uh, to assume that uh, if we have healthier soils, we have healthier plants, we have healthier uh, animals and healthier humans, either you know by direct plant consumption or the animal consuming the the plant, and we consume the animal sourced uh, foods. And we are finding these these relationships. Is that yes? Um, one uh, study that we did was in. Uh, uh, grass-fed beef systems and what we what we are finding initially is that yeah the the soils that are healthier that have more soil organic matter or more nutrients and minerals in the soil they produce healthier plants more nutrient-dense plants and then as a result when the animal consumes them it produces more nutrient-dense meat and it also improves the health of the animal because you know uh, uh, that, that makes sense right is that uh, uh, the health and the nutritional profile of the animal are are related, as I talked to you earlier, the metabolites in, in animals or plants, they, they produce them for their own, uh, uh, well, they're for their own metabolism, for their own health, right? And, and a plant or an animal is not designed for us to consume, of course, right? They, they are, you know, a, a plant is, is surviving, is having its own metabolism, but some of these metabolites in the plants, they can serve as nutrients to us or an animal, right? And uh, so, but we see that there's this, this improvement in, in plant health and the improvement in plant health results in more nutrient-dense plants and there's more nutrient-dense food. So that's what you said, a carrot isn't a carrot isn't a carrot, is because uh, the soil where the, where the carrot might get its nutrients from, if that is healthier, more nutrient-rich, the carrot is probably more nutrient-rich too. And it does get a little bit more complicated than that because uh, what you see is that with uh, the plant secondary compounds, which are antioxidants, let's say if there's uh, if you overwater your blueberries, it might not produce as many phytochemicals. If it has water stress a little bit, then it might produce more phytochemicals and it, it, it might have more antioxidants in it. So uh, there's environmental factors that play, but in, in sort of if we had to dumb it down or simplify it a little bit, then uh, yeah, healthier soils equals healthier plants and equals healthier animals. And we're now working on the humans piece uh, to see if, because uh, the foods look healthier on, uh, on paper for sure if the mm -hmm. soils are healthier. But does that have an appreciable health effect on human health when we uh, versus, you know, when we consume foods from unhealthy soils or, or a monoculture? That's sort of up in the air at, uh, at, at the moment. And uh, so that we have a randomized controlled trials going on in that area to see that uh, one study I'm particularly excited about is that we have one study where all these foods are grown uh, sustainably, or it's, the term is called agroecology. It's nature-based farming. Uh, so instead of using monocultures and high amounts of pesticides and things like that, the farmer uses things like multi-cropping, integrated crop livestock, doesn't really do does natural pest control. Do these foods that look healthier on paper, when we actually feed an entire diet to humans about that, do, they, do the humans actually get healthier? versus if we source everything from a monoculture. Right. Well, it seems like the health of the soil comes down to like 
ev- everything, the health of the whole planet. It's just like how the health of the planet affects every living thing on it. The soil is like the little layer that life like blossoms out of. If we can learn how to take care of that, we can. there's essentially no limit. It can just continue to grow more and more life. That's what I've kind of taken away from my discussions about soil health. Yeah, yeah, to an extent, that's that's definitely true, and uh, you know, and, and and again, there's sort of also a symbiotic relationship between plant soils, plants, and and uh, and animals, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That you know, animals can put nutrients back into the soil. Uh, they can keep the plants uh, uh, healthy by by maybe lightly grazing, but not overgrazing. Uh, then a healthier plant also, you know, can can help with the with the nutrient cycling process. That's really uh, the way uh, to view it, and. Uh, it's unfortunately as humans is that uh, we're we're the ones that uh, usually take from that cycle, but but we right. don't give back nearly enough, and I think that's why uh, we uh, are in these uh, problems that we are in right now because we we are very extractive, but are not per se you know uh, taking back what we uh, or putting back what we get. But we can. And I would make the argument that we really are designed to do that, to be to be farmers, to be fosterers of life. That's what kind of the point of being a human is, to be someone that takes care of another thing. Um, I think there's just a lot of distractions going on. In yeah, our we do world. have a lot of distractions, uh, watching TV and driving cars and, you know, yeah. not, not farming, right? Going to the grocery right. store, so not really thinking about uh, the impacts of how our foods are grown. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't even have to farm plants. You could farm ideas or other people. Just creating more than you consume, I think, is an amazing way to live your life. And for me, trying to do that, I feel really good about it. What advice do you have for folks when it comes to choosing their foods who are interested in increasing their own health and the health of like our soils and the planet as well? Yeah, that's that's a good, very good question. Um, first of all, I would engage with farmers that's the, the main thing i can i can say support support your farmers and uh you know uh there's eating local is maybe a way to do that maybe it doesn't have per se you know the environmental uh, well i should back that up we think that because you're eating local there's no trans there's little transportation so it's much better for the environment but the, the transportation impact of getting fruits out of uh, you know south america to here is, is is a very minor part so we must be that realistic but it doesn't mean that there's no reason for you to connect with local farmers and support local farmers and and uh i think that's the main thing to do and i even think and i'm happy to see that now that grocery stores are also starting to source from uh, from local farmers and then trying to tell that story like hey this is grown locally this is how it was grown and uh it, it i think it helps people uh, understand that and you know stewards of it's if you see something improving next to you, right? Uh, uh, things like that. If you empower people, if if you see the your community improving, right? The health of your community or, or even the environment that you live nearby, if you see that improving, people have a bigger stake in that versus maybe, you know, the 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 health of the soil in in, in Chile or Mexico that my uh, my my uh, tomato was grown in or my, my pepper was grown in, right? Because it doesn't affect us. It does affect us, but we don't think it affects us that directly. So I think it's, it's what you can do is, uh, yeah, connect with uh, with local farmers and uh, and really start to learn more about uh, their, their processes. Farmers that do the right thing, that have these nature-based solutions, they do love to tell you about that. And I must also say the food just tastes better, is that uh, 
tomorrow our farmer's market is starting again and I've been eating uh, carrots grown uh, out of California here for the last uh, five months because uh, you know it, there's no um, really locally available but uh, if I bite into a carrot that was uh, grown using sort of agroecological principles nature-based principles the carrot just tastes so much different right it has flavor to it it's actually mm -hmm. good and and whereas otherwise it might taste like a watered down version you know it tastes like water with a carrot the flavor of, of carrot right a carrot, into carrot. It. and the same with with strawberries uh, uh sometimes too so i think that is uh yeah that is so important uh is that uh you know can we feed the world locally alone you know studies would suggest not but is it a good way to uh, to think about that and get connected with your local food system if that improves your healthy behaviors then yeah i think that would be an excellent way to start uh by starting uh Connecting with uh, local uh, local farming uh, communities and food process, you know, food systems uh, to just learn healthier behaviors, get a better appreciation of your food, and you don't have to source everything locally. Of course, I mean, we live in a globalized world. If you, I like eating mangoes from uh, from uh, uh, Guatemala too, uh, but part of that is just you know to be become aware of that of how food is grown. I think it will improve uh, uh, stewardship of of the land and. Uh, and yeah, also the main thing that you can do if, if looking at the bigger picture, if you can make yourself healthier, right? Uh, the, the the impact that our healthcare system has on, on greenhouse gas emissions, right? If we can only mm -hmm. bring that down a little bit, uh, that would be a huge, uh, huge impact in, in the U.S. That's, uh, that's uh, especially here, is a major, major impact uh, on, on, on our greenhouse gas emissions and, uh, and things like that. So taking, taking care of your own health uh, will probably, as a effect, also take care of, of the health of the environment uh, uh, as a result. No shortage of problems to tackle. Always having something to do around here. <laughs> yeah, no, we have some serious challenges over the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah, and uh, uh, we, we need to make some uh, some major changes in, uh, in our lifestyle. Um, and as humans, we do have an impact on that, um, of course. Uh, Probably the main elephant in the room is uh, is, is fossil fuel burning, right? Uh, mm -hmm. diet, diet, diet is important, and we should focus on diet too. But uh, um, we need to also focus on on, on other factors, uh, maybe uh, just as much or even more so. But yeah, you know the dietary choices that we make, and and as you notice, I am hesitant in saying in in, in making these simplified recommendations of of like you know eat plants and save the world or, or eat pasture-based livestock and save the world or, or whatever, you know, because it is a little bit more 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 complex than that. Uh, I, I certainly uh, uh, think so. And uh, uh, But if there's one sort of blanket statement, I would eat uh, try to eat a uh, sort of a whole foods-based diet uh, in, in, that, in that regard uh, for, for most people that, uh, that will work well. And uh, it, that can be a varying degree of, uh, of, of omnivory, a combination of plant and animal sourced foods uh, in, in that regard, uh, I think would be wise for, uh, for most people. Um, but I have very much respect for people that are, are on, on, on you know, plant exclusive diets due for, uh, for, for environmental reasons and, uh, and, and mm -hmm. you know, very tuned with their health and, and their environment and, uh, and things like that. Uh, I just, uh, um, but I think that there's definitely a role for well-managed uh, livestock in the, in that, uh, in that too, even if it means that, uh, we reduce our consumption.
I definitely agree. And you had mentioned earlier that you're living in, in northern Utah now. So what is what is your personal diet? How do you manage everything that you study in, with your personal choices? Yeah, so I, I would say I eat an, an omnivorous diet. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I eat a high amount of fruits and vegetables. Uh, I also exercise. So uh, I, I probably eat about three pounds, three to four pounds of fruits and uh, vegetables and fruits a day. So a very high, high amount. Uh, I don't know how many servings that is, but uh, I, I, uh, for me, a meal without vegetables is not really a meal. So, right. but with with those, uh, I would definitely also consume like uh, you know some 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 eggs and uh, uh, dairy uh, and 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 meat and fish and things like that as well. Uh, so, but yeah, my diet is is is, is omnivorous. I, you know, that don't want to use per se use the term plant-based because it's i i would say i'm on maneuvers diet but yeah i mean the, ma- the majority of my calories uh probably come from uh from, from plant foods so it's a it's a diet rich in uh whole plant foods with uh you know a, a uh, meat fish eggs uh, dairy uh, on the side then and i also like just you know with, with local farmers i recently started to make my own yogurt and it was surprisingly easy so uh Cool. Uh, so that that's been fun uh, to do, and uh, as as with many people during the pandemic, I uh, started to make my own sourdough bread, and uh, so uh, that that was also good to uh, to to connect uh, back with that then uh, as a as a nutrition researcher. But uh, yeah, no, it's definitely getting used to here in Utah. I was uh, before I was in the south, and we have a much long, larger longer growing season, right? And obviously here, uh, yeah, getting locally sourced produce in the it's harder during the, the winter months and uh, certainly yeah could get some potatoes and some some carrot locally but uh, not uh, uh, per se the, the diversity but it's also the great part about living in a, in a globalized environment right is that we can have access to a wide diversity of plant foods or animal foods uh, but I think the plant foods even more, even more so right because you can typically still grow you know raise animals in uh, in uh, uh, cold environments uh, plants might grow as well but that we can get that so it's 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 sort of uh uh that's why i'm definitely not saying you know go back to uh the 1700s or, or back to the pre-agricultural you know agricultural times you know we've, we've made some great strides here on efficiency and being able to have all this access to the fruits but uh, at the same time we uh yeah it is also uh good to uh to, to, to just connect with your local farmer, just to, to have an idea of what uh, what food means and uh, and how we can use that to uh, uh, nourish ourselves and, and and help the planet and uh, get an appreciation that uh, uh, food is not a given. Right. Well, Stefan, I was looking forward to this conversation for a long time. You certainly didn't disappoint. Thank you for all the information you shared. Thanks for all the research you're doing, man. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to hear about all the new things that we learn over the next 20 to 30 years while we're tackling all the crazy challenges that that the last generation has has, uh, brought to the surface. So uh, any final advice you have for young folks who are passionate about building a better world? Yeah, uh, I would say... Health starts with yourself and from within. So I'd say, uh, uh, you know, if you're able to, to, and I know that it's hard in our modern day environment. And, and, you know, it's, it's, I know it's easy for me to say, cause I'm, I'm, I have a, you know, I'm blessed by having a, you know, a good job and, and, and a lovely family. And, and I grew up with, with lovely parents. So I've had a very, very fortunate life, 
Um, but at least, you know, if you are able to just, you know, sort of improve the, the well-being or the health of yourself, you know, it's then you're probably also able to make the, the world a, a healthier place. And I think that's, uh, that is so important to, uh, to make sure that uh, you, you create a good environment uh, for yourself. And I know it can be very challenging if you're in a, in, you know, lower socioeconomic status or, or born in a, in a non-Western civilization, but uh, uh, yeah, help from your community trying to trying to build health from within and uh, i think if we all make a little bit of a step towards uh, getting ourselves healthier our environment healthier that uh, uh, this would have sort of a like a like a spill over effect to, uh, right. to our environment so uh, that's uh, that that's my main uh, my main advice is just make, making small steps to improve your health totally yeah definitely taking the time to know yourself having a good exercise regimen, being aware of the foods that you're eating, spending your time doing things that you enjoy and spending your time and having good relationships with people who treat you well. You know, you can't deny the value in any of that stuff. So no, no, no. We we talked about diet today, but uh, those things are are just as important. And in in some studies suggest uh, even more important. uh, Right. uh, For for longevity. So to uh, community life, the, the, the way of life. Is, is really the, the key, key factor to take away. Indeed it is. Stefan, thanks for the time, man. It's been great. Thank you so much, Ethan. You got it. All right, everybody. See you again. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrealty.org today.